Hey, Mark, you know I've been spending a lot more time in Denmark recently. Yeah, the uh, bakery date uh, is in the calendar still. Well, it being a Nordic country uh, and everything, I found the perfect solution to streaming all those lovely films and TV shows that we review whilst I'm there. Well, what on earth would that perfect solution be, Simon? Well, NordVPN, of course. You see, it's Nord, Nordic. Yeah, no, no, yeah. It's, I get it. Moving on. With one click, NordVPN can change my device's virtual location so I can access all the content I need when I'm abroad. I can now watch poor things, whether in London or Paris. Why even wait until you're on holiday? You can do it right now and access content in over 61 different countries, unlocking all this content for less than a price of a Pano Raisin a month. Pano Raisin. Pano Raisin. To take our huge discount huge. off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com slash take. Our link will also give you four extra months for free on the two-year plan. Now, back to the show. So how was the Arctic Circle then? It it was it was weirdly enough the temperature in Tromso was the same as the temperature here. Not not true. I checked that when I woke up on Saturday morning, knowing yeah. that you were in the Arctic Circle, With the and dodges. it was it was warmer in the Arctic Circle. Than <laughs> right, it was yes, yeah. in the southeast of England, it was like minus six, and you had like minus one or two or something. I know. So what's the point of going to the Arctic Circle if it's going to be warmer than the southeast of England? It was very lovely. We went through Oslo, which was minus 17. Oh, OK. So that we did have a whiteout in Oslo. But, uh, yeah, so we played uh, City Girl, which is the Murnau film, in this beautiful old cinema. It's one of the oldest cinemas in the world, and it was fabulous. We got a big Norwegian standing ovation because there ain't no love party like a Tromso love party. So what? So a, a Norwegian standing ovation? yes. Were you like like an exotic curiosity from out of town? I believe that's my, my role most of the time. But it was great. Neil Brown was fantastic. Then we did a gig in a record store. They've got a really good vinyl record store, which also does gigs. And then we did a... You're still in Tromso? Still in Tromso. And, um, and then we did a gig at the end, at the end of the festival in which there's a, there's a great big arena in which they had a whole bunch of bands that were playing because there was a lot of people accompanying sort of silent films. Tromso Film Festival was absolutely wonderful, really, really wonderful. So that's my second time there now. And uh, they said, will you come back? And I said, well, if you invite us back. I got to introduce Banshees of Inisherin, which hadn't opened there yet. And it was the weirdest really? thing. They asked me to choose a film and they, they suggested Banshees. I thought it was like as a retrospective thing. but So I introduced it and I said before, the, you know, people have seen it. Right? No, no, it was opening the next week. So I introduced Banshees of Inisher and just before it got all these uh, Oscar nominations. And the weirdest thing is, I'm a film critic, I have nothing to do with the film. I just, I didn't even interview the director. You did, but I introduced it and everyone was really nice. Like, thank you for bringing this. I didn't bring it. It was nothing to do with me. You I could just, take all the glory. I could. Also, my life has now been ruined because this morning I woke up, came At down. fifty. Yeah, came down to, um, rather nifty. Yeah. Down, down to, to an, an incubator. incubator 30 it? minutes later, the, the, the present tense and past tense of that song intertwined unusually. A little squeeze sidebar. We were talking, so we started talking about the fact that your child three had said, isn't it interesting that in Up the Junction, the, the time frame will change within yes. a single he was very interested in Line, that. which is fascinating. And then you went, oh, the other day on Greatest Hits, or were you talking about Little Nicky Horn? Somebody, somebody had played 
Empire State Human. I, did, I played Empire State Human. You played it, and I said... Tall, 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 tall big as a wall. That one. And now I can't get that out of my head. It is a It is earworm. an absolute earworm, and that's all I can hear now is... Tall, 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 says he wants to be tall 60 times in three minutes. That's the way it goes. Is he tall? Philoki, he's like normal size, as far as I know. I have interviewed him, but I just think he was normal. <laughs> as far as I'm, I'm defining the concept of normal. He's neither tall nor small, is what I'm saying. <laughs> neither tall, 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 nor, nor small. small, small, he's small. He's not like a wall. I'm normal, normal, normal. That doesn't work, does it? Anyway, are you tempted to go further north? Or is Tromso... Is Tromso the most north you've been? Yes. Um, we went to get a vegan burger in the Burger King when we first got there because it was somewhere I knew we could get vegan food because they're, they're quite a meaty, fishy culture. Yeah. And apparently it is the most northerly Burger King oh. in the world. Are you tempted to go further north, though? Well, like, I'd yeah, I'd like to. We I mean, do the show in Greenland. Yeah, is that further north than Tromso? Yeah. I th- I th- oh, I, I think so. I don't know. Our just... team are even now not checking that out. <laughs> OK, fine. I know, I'd love to. Can we go to Greenland? Well, all of it. All of it, yeah. Um, There's a Gerard Butler film coming up this week as well on the subject of Greenland. I should say, by the way, that we were going to uh, have Steven Spielberg on the show today. Uh, He's not on the show because uh, apparently he's been poorly and he's gone back to L.A. where he can continue to be poorly, but he can be poorly where it's warmer. uh, and, And where the awards judges gave him more nominations. Plus, also, if you're going to be... If you've got a ranch and you've got warmth, you'd probably hop on a jet and go back home, wouldn't you? I would think. Anyway, so um, which is a shame because we had lots of fantastic listener questions for yeah. Steven Spielberg. I think what we could do, you could ask me and I could pretend to be Steven Spielberg. Um, I've, I've still got the questions. Okay, well, we'll, we'll wanna, do a little... Pitch me a couple of softballs, I'll do them. Okay, well, when we get to the interview section, we'll, okay. uh, we'll do that. But we have got, um, not as an alternative, because we were going to do this as well anyway, Ben Baby-Smith... Him of this parish. Filmmaker turned psychotherapist Sasha Bates also co-hosts of a new podcast on the Take channel because we've got a channel, Mark. We've got a channel? Anyway, this, this show is called Shrink the Box. It's an in-depth examination of some of the most popular and complex TV characters of all time, such as people like Tony Soprano and Omar Little from The Wire, Fleabag from Fleabag. Walter White. That kind of thing. Anyway, so we'll be talking to Ben and to... Sasha, we will not be talking to Steven Spielberg, but I will be putting some of the Spielberg questions to me, to Mark. Yes. Uh, what other movies are we going to be examining? It's a really interesting week. There is um, a new Gerard Butler film, as I may have mentioned. There is All the Beauty in the Bloodshed, which was just uh, Oscar-nominated, the uh, Laura Poitras film. There is The Fablemans, which we were just mentioning, which is the Steven Spielberg film, about which I will be taking your questions. Uh, and uh, and uh, also Unwelcome, which is a... Folk, horror, comedy, oddity. Say that again. Folk, horror, comedy, oddity. That's, uh, my, is that quite a trying combination? Let's find out, shall we? I think the answer to that is uh, yes. Plus also our extra takes, you get, it says there's an extra 90 minutes of this nonsense. I'm not quite sure we can manage 90 minutes. Oh, I think we can. Really, can we? Oh, okay. Well, I've got some extra reviews to do. Oh, okay, yes, extra reviews. Pretentious Moir, currently it's The People 9, Mark 6. <sighs> 
I think you. I think it's quite a tough one this week as well. Okay, really. After last week was like one sentence with the names taken out. Yeah, it's worse this week. Um, you That'd decide, which is our word of mouth on a podcast feature. Talk about the Last of Us. Uh, is where you've suggested stuff, but I think we everyone is talking about the Last of Us. Yeah. So we we are going to be talking about the Last of Us. Going to be joining about the Last of Us. You can support us via Apple Podcasts or head to extratates.com. By the way, you should say just to be absolutely clear here. Mm-hmm. Very clear. Yes. So clear I'm uh, hitting these pieces of paper Very in an hard. authoritative way. Uh, take one and take two, now available at the same time. Both, so I know you obviously you're listening to take one, so that's what this is. But take two, with all the extra stuff which you just outlined, is available now. Now. Already. Now. Which seems incredible. Now that's what I call take two. On Tuesday, uh, you get an ad-free shrink the box. Wow. Um, more of which in this in particular... This- uh, now and then on Wednesday you get take three thank you very much for the questions and indeed the schmestions there is one particular schmestion which uh, has uh, led to a lot of brow furrowing um, which we'll get to but you'll you'll pick that up on Wednesday so take one and take two available now add free shrink the box available on Tuesday take three available Wednesday. You can't if you're wrong with a furrowed brow. If you're a vanguardista already, as always, you are the essence of humanity, and we salute you. <laughs> we both salute you, but Mark didn't say. No, no, no I say we salute you. I was just laughing at you were the essence of humanity. Well, that might be slightly pretentious. Yeah, also. precisely. Um, one of this week's emails uh, has been written by uh, a robot. An AI? Yes. Okay. It's been written by our new robot overlords. But and are we, do we not know which one? Is I know the... which one, but you have to okay. try and work out which one okay. it is. Okay. okay. Is it going to be the one that you're about to read out? Well, obviously, if I was going to tell you that, then you would go, it's the one that you're just about to read out, and then that would be the end. But it might be the second okay. one. Okay. It could be the third so one. one. Of the, so one of the emails has been written and been generated show. by an artificial intelligence. Yes, one of them in the show in which we're about to okay. start. Okay, okay, In okay, which fine. there are a number of emails. Okay, and if I spot it, what do I win? If I spot it, do I get a, an extra a lolly. point on the... Um, you get a lolly. Pretentious while? No, you get... Uh, you get a they lolly. robot overlords. Well, management are robot overlords, mm-hmm. but yeah, I know. You know, the guy who directed Unwelcome directed robot overlords. Oh, really? Yeah, completely coincidentally. Um, Oli Jokinen, who I believe is in Helsinki. Dear Netherlands and Scandinavian Netherlands. That's you. Yes, I know. I trust this email finds you in good spirits and in possession of all your toes. On the subject of unusual sports, <laughs> I give you the Finnish sport of wife carrying. <laughs> also known, known here as Yukon Kanto. As a Finn, one cannot help but ponder the deeper meaning behind this peculiar pastime. Is it a commentary on the patriarchal society in which we live, a satirical examination of the notion of ownership and possession, or simply a light-hearted, tongue-in-cheek celebration of love and partnership? Whatever the case may be, one thing is for certain, this sport requires a great deal of physical strength as well as mental fortitude. After all, carrying one's wife through an obstacle course is no easy feat, especially if the said wife is of, shall we say, not average weight. Perhaps this is... No No such thing as average weight. Everyone is... Perfect. Perhaps the most interesting aspect of this sport is the fact that the wife being carried is not necessarily limited to the participant's spouse. 
Well, you can choose somebody else's wife. The term wife here is used in a metaphorical sense and can refer to any partner or any close female friend. This implies that the sport is not just about physical strength, but also about the strength of relationships and bonds. I don't think so. No. In any event, I urge you to consider giving wife carrying a try. Not only will it provide a fun and challenging workout, it also might offer a new perspective on the complexities of human relationships. In other words, the conversation will go something like this. We're going to do some Yukon Kanto today. What's that? It's the finished sport of wife carrying, but I'm not going to carry you. I'm going to carry the woman from down the road. Oh, really? And then, you know, fisticuffs. It then moves into the sport of husband punching. Exactly, which I don't think is... Which, which, which you do do to your husband. Is an art. Yes. Um, Ollie, thank you. It's an interesting idea, but we'll let you fins. You didn't come across that in your travels to I didn't, Tromso. no. Tromso no, travels. No. The love party, the Tromso well, love party, no. they don't do that. They didn't. Nobody okay. at any point, no. Uh, Claire in Amsterdam. Hello, Mark and Simon. LTL and FTM. Just listening to the latest podcast. Actually, I'm going to stop there. I've got this. <laughs> The robot overlord wrote that last email. Wrote the Scandinavian one? Oli Jokinen in Helsinki was the robot overlord. What, wrote the, wrote the wife? Yeah. Pardon me? Yes. That was written by the AI thing. Machine. Seriously? Yes. <laughs> so. so even after I'd made the joke about it's, it's going to be the first one, and it was the first one. It was one. the first one. You still didn't spot it? No. I, I, would you have spotted it? Probably not, No. Okay, so Simon is saying that the only thing he added was the greeting and the sign-off, although that is cheating. It is. The Netherlands the, the, and Scandinavian Netherlands does make it sound as though Ollie was a regular listener. Yeah, but but also, wow. We're in okay, trouble. Okay, no, we are... I'm, I'm sorry, I really... I, I had no idea. I did not know. I had no uh, idea. Oh, we're in trouble. Someone's come along and burst our bubble. Yeah, hang on. Where's... Uh, oh, we're in trouble. Someone's shampoo. come along. Yeah, no, no, it's not shampoo. That's... Um, that's we've got a fuzz box, isn't it? Oh, Uh-oh, we're in trouble. Is it shampoo? What, was, who did, what did Fuzzbox do? Oh, was that International Rescue? Sorry. Okay, fine. Anyway. Anyway, Claire in Amsterdam, now we've cleared all that up. Just listening to the latest pod about the Panarezan debate, with amusement also, as I'm mm. a recent immigrant in the Netherlands, so loving the Van Hoch pronunciation, <laughs> while struggling with the Dutch language learning myself. The, because the problem is with Dutch, is like Danish, is that no one around the world bothers with that language. No. So it is, you, you just have to do it to get on with the people around you. Yes. And no one else cares. The conversation reminded me of the time my friend's mum asked me <laughs> if we would like to watch La Confidenciale in a pretentious French accent, meaning LA, LA Confidential. confidential. <laughs> The same woman also used to refer to the co-op as the Quap, which I found <laughs> so funny. I've trained my whole family to call this popular local shop thus, as though we were a family of demented ducks. <laughs> Up with fair play and down with, well, far too much to mention, really. Watching UK politics with gobsmacking dismay, Claire in Amsterdam. You don't have to be in Amsterdam, Claire, to um, also watch it with gobsmacking dismay. There was a guy in my school who used to refer to Les Paul guitars as a Les Paul not good. No. Is uh, four minutes enough to discuss all the beauty in the bloodshed? Yes, I'll give it Carry a go. On. Oscar nominated just recently, just early on in the week, a documentary by Laura Poitras, who won an Oscar before for Citizen Four. The subject this time round is photographer and campaigner Nan Golden. And the documentary intertwines stories of her life from childhood, the trauma of losing her sister, her life photographing people on the fringes of society, mounting a show about people living with AIDS, and then 
It intertwines that with her later campaign against the Sackler family, who were the sponsors of the art world, but also whose OxyContin fueled the opioid crisis. Here's a clip. There's the Sackler family of the art world, the museum world, and philanthropy. And then there's the big pharma marketing and addiction and death. My anger at the Sackler family, it's personal. When you think of the profit of people's pain, you can only be furious. So Golden describes herself as having survived the opioid crisis because she was prescribed uh, opioids. And she then started Prescription addi- Addiction Intervention Now, Pain, to take on the Sackler family, who were these kind of, you know, big players in Indeed, the art world, yeah. you know, huge sort of, uh, you know, philanthropists, I think, is the word that they would like. And there's a bit which she said, I asked, will my career implode if I do this? And she was told, yeah, probably will. But what the documentary does is... It takes films of the protests, which are almost like art installations, like people turning up at the museums and, you know, falling apparently dead on the floor, holding these bottles that they've made, which are so it's like a kind of like a kind of agitprop art installation that that really caught the press's attention. And the way in which Laura Potras does it, that there's a real kind of edge of almost like a kind of thriller edge to these things. And it's really, really well done, really, really gripping. She got the National Portrait Gallery not to take the Sackler money. Then others followed suit. We follow it onto the campaign, goes to the Louvre. But what you discover about her is that it was always the case that she was campaigning, that she was sort of working to change the status quo. We hear her say, I mean, there's some heartbreaking things. She says, my mother and father were not equipped to be parents. And that is a whole strand of the story, which is really moving. How photography gave her a voice her embrace of queer culture and what that brought to her. She says at one point, my roommates were running away from America and they found each other. She became friends with the John Waters gang, you know, the people from the John Waters movies. Talks about sex work, very frankly, um, photographs of herself. She had documented herself and her own sexual relationships and uh, uh, photographs of herself having been battered. I mean, it's very, very personal, very kind of, you know, raw and an open work, this extraordinary exhibition of people living with AIDS. At one point, their work, uh, the work got uh, got the, the the an exhibition into trouble. The the the, the AIDS exhibition, um, and it, I thought I thought she was it was really enlivening company. I mean, I knew very very little about Nan Golden. I heard the name, but I didn't really know much about her her, her work at all. She says. At one point, the wrong things are kept secret by people, and that phrase really stuck with me. Because really, what what the whole documentary documentary is about is about exposing things, you know, putting things out on display, not keeping things secret. Whether it's to do with things to do with the family or things to do with the sort of greater political world. And watching the agitprop stuff was really kind of loving, particularly since in the course of the narrative, she does take on this huge institution and actually does manage to achieve 
an awful lot. So I thought it was a really interesting documentary. It's called All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, and it's by Laura Poitras. If you're a regular listener, you will have heard that name before, just nominated for Best Documentary at the Oscars. And does that have a general cinematic release, do you think? Yes, and the fact that it's just got nominated for an Oscar, this is, when people say, what are rewards for? They are to, you know, I mean, from the distributor's point of view, that's an absolute godsend. Yeah. They literally just got nominated for Best, Best Documentary. And if you have access to Disney+, Plus, uh, the drama series Dope Sick, you may well have seen, but it, it's really worth catching up on. It's a similar subject. It's on, yeah, it's all, it's all about the Sacklers. Um, okay, still to come, what are we reviewing? Uh, the Fablemans, which is the new film by Steven Spielberg. Plane, which is the new film starring Gerard Butler. The tagline is, the crash was just the beginning and unwelcome, which is that weirdy folk horror. Uh, time for the ads, unless you're in the vanguard, in which case we'll be back before you can say Francis Jeffers. So we just wanted to tell you about what our friends at Rooftop Film Club are up to. As you know, they are London's king of outdoor cinema. More than just a movie with rooftop experiences located at Bussy Building in Peckham and Roof East in Stratford. Sit back, relax, get cosy in a blanket and use the QR code on your seat to have food and drink delivered directly to you. They're playing all the award-winning films like Past Lives, Anatomy of a Fall, All of Us Strangers, but also classics like Interstellar, When Harry Met Sally, and more recent films like Challengers and Fall Guy. Rooftop Film Club offers memberships for as little as £25 per month. That's not all. As a Vanguard Easter, you get two-for-one tickets on a Wednesday with the code THETAKE24. That's T-H-E-T-A-K-E. 24. Visit rooftopfilmclub.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So, whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So, download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello, Kermode and Mayo listeners. We want to tell you about another show you're going to love, Dinners on Me with Jesse Tyler Ferguson. You may know Jesse as Mitchell on Modern Family or for his Tony Award-winning performance in Take Me Out on Broadway. Each week, Jesse takes a different celebrity guest out to eat at a restaurant chosen just for them. No repeats. Past guests include Sofia Vergara, Brian Cranston, Mandy Moore, Chelsea Clinton and Ed O'Neill. More than 30 episodes are available right now, wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Uh, maybe we didn't go away. Uh, here's the box office top ten. Number ninety-three, The Substitute. I should point out that the Substitute was playing in. F- it had four locations. So one of the things that you always need to point out when this stuff happens is it's playing in four locations. Avatar: Way of Water is playing in six hundred and fifty-one. Mm-hmm. So it's done fine in the locations that it's played in. I like this film. I thought it was a kind of interesting. It said it, it falls in that tradition of. Um, uh, Blackboard Jungle and more recently Casablanca Beats. I, I thought it was really interesting. And I'm just pointing out that it's it's to do with how many places films are playing in. Number 46, Alice. Darling. Ten locations. So this is the new film by uh, Mary Nye, who is Bill uh, Nye's daughter, who I had the great privilege of... Oscar um, nominated. Oscar nominated. You were so thrilled about that, weren't you? I th- and there's a fantastic photograph of him. He's just... Here's a man... 
he's he's at a ripe old age, even more than we are, and he's Oscar nominated. How thrilling is that? That's just fantastic news. Well, Mary Nye, who's a, um, a an actor now, this is uh, this is her directing, and this is a story. This stars, stars Anna Kendrick as a young woman who appears to have a perfect life with a lovely boyfriend, who then turns out to be fantastically controlling, and it is a film about an an emotionally abusive relationship, which it, it's marketed very much like a thriller. When I saw it, I didn't know anything about it. For the first 10 minutes of it, I thought it was a rom-com because it was Anna Kendrick in a coffee bar with her friends and it had that kind of tone to it. What I really like about it is the way the tone shifts. I think she's a fine director and I think we'll see more work from her, or, you know, impressive work from her in the future. Just speaking of things that look like rom-coms, I saw on the side of a bus, obviously it's been there for, for quite a while, uh, an advert for She Said, right? Yeah. So which is a serious drama yes, by anyone's is. reckoning. Yeah. But the way, it was, the way it was photographed, which is a photograph of the two leading women, yeah. uh, the two journalists who are trying to uncover the Harvey Weinstein story, made it look like a rom-com. Well, that would partly, I suspect, be in response to the fact that it tanked in America. And one of the reasons that it, was, that they, it tanked in America was that they said people didn't want to watch a harrowing two-hour drama about Harvey Weinstein. Okay, well, obviously this, this bus ad... is trying to it. say it's not about that. It's yeah. these people who you'll, whose company you'll like. Exactly. Well, you know, uh, it still looks inappropriate. I, no, no, I'm, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying I'm sure that that's, that was the thinking. The motivation. Yeah. Number 14 in the top 10, Holy Spider. Which is a really interesting film about, I mean, it, nominally it's a film about a serial killer, but it's really a film about misogyny and um, the way in which misogynist culture has at its sharp end murder, but has at its, you know, at its softer end a sort of general acceptance that cleaning up the streets is somehow valid within a, within this culture system. I thought it was... I liked it very much. I know that not everybody does. My colleague Wendy Ide had felt that it had a prurient air to it, which I didn't feel, but I respect Wendy's opinion very much. Dr. Nima Gadry uh, in Liverpool. Uh, Mark and Simon, thank you. Uh, and to your producers. Why does producers... And the fantastic team who create the show. That's the way, basically, you get your email mm-hmm. onto the pod. Thanks for your Holy Spider review. It's a tough watch, which probably isn't the best choice for a family film, but it's thrilling and so pertinent given current events in Iran. Yes. Zah Amir Ebrahimi has so much raw, nuanced emotion. Mark will remember her performance in the rotoscoped Tehran Taboo. She recently won Best Actress at Cannes, but many don't know how her life was at threat after a jealous ex leaked an intimate video of her. She was forced to flee Iran and has slowly rebuilt her career, but what a talent she is. Few convey the breadth of human tragedy as well as her. Worth watching the film for her alone, down with the Nazis and up with women, life, freedom. Thank you, Dr. Nima. Fantastic. Thank you very much for that email. Uh, Number 10 in the UK, number 9 in the States, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. And? Still 30 minutes to go. So, really forever. Almost certain. (laughs) Wakanda forever. and on. (laughs) Number 9 here, 26 in the States, Strange World. Done better than I expected. Uh, Certainly has done better here than it did in the US, because in the US, you know, it lost a large amount of money. Uh, Number 8 in the UK, is ta ta? Um, <laughs> here, here is you know how sometimes you know how, how sometimes people feel very strongly about things. You go, oh, oh, okay, fine. <laughs> Here's Izzy. Okay, she signs it formally of the Philadelphia Orchestra. 
Oh, OK. Mark and Simon, I'm so tired of hearing how convincing Blanchett's performance in Tar is. Rea- <laughs> reaction to its portrayal of music and conducting among my colleagues has been either one, unrecognisable, or two, unrecognisable, but perhaps positive for, symp- for symphony orchestras. Blanchett addressing Dresden Philharmonic by saying, I'm not a conductor and you are not actors is rich. Find me a soloist of any kind, any performing art that doesn't know how they look on camera. We're not doubting for or tutoring or accommodating the acting talent of the Natalie Portmans and Kate Blanchett's tutor um, because we could never act. It's just that one kind of performance, fame and face, sell tickets and duty-free luxury goods and ours do not. Please, just make your Oscar bait film about a tortured genius and their descent into madness. Credit the doubles and tutors and stop insisting that the leads makeshift talent set or the script's pretentious nitpicking over bowing and uh, bowing, probably, and tempo are actually convincing and realistic. Wow. Who's that, who's that from? That's Izzy, formerly of the Philadelphia Orchestra. What's interesting is, I think, I mean, Izzy obviously knows more about it than I do, but if you're deeply immersed in this, there's a difference between a symphony orchestra and a philharmonic orchestra. Which and, is? Well, I don't... Because I remember asking this um, of the good folk at Scala Radio. Who would know? Who would know, and they kind of were they suggesting that there isn't, <laughs> okay, really. Right, okay. but is it, it a historical thing or something? I, I imagine it must be. Okay. People will write in and explain. Yeah. Well, thank you. That's a, that's a, that is a ferocious email. Number seven, uh, although no, only number 34 in America, Empire of Light, though Sam Mendes, when he came on the, on the show, he said he, it's the least attention he's paid to the American market with a movie. Yes. And, it, it, I think he also number. said that he wrote it... Fundamentally, what he was saying was he wrote it for himself because yeah. it was written during lockdown. And very much like The Fablemans, which we're going to talk about uh, later on, it's a very personal film by a director remembering his own childhood and sort of celebrating cinema. It's also a film about, you know, Britain at a certain period in its history and racism and a whole bunch of other things. I think it's five different films, and I like at least two of them. One of the reasons I'm annoyed that um, Steven Spielberg is not on the show because he's ill is because I re- he, is to pick up precisely that point and the fact that Sam Mendes said he'd had a conversation with, with Spielberg about these movies and the fact that they're making these... It's yeah. not a coincidence that they're making these introspective... Uh, Stephen, if you're listening, this would have been the best interview you didn't do. Yeah, feel free to come on at any time. Number six is A Man Called Otto, number I, five in America. I, I don't think I can say anything better about this film than once again to cite the email from two weeks ago. If you haven't heard that show, go back and listen to it. Yeah. There is an email from somebody who was touched so profoundly by this film that I think it would justify the filmmaker's career. Uh, number five in the UK, Roald Dahl's Matilda the Musical, still, <laughs> still, still, still hanging in. on in there. I mean, I, I was just, I did a show just recently. We played at the end, you know, we are revolting children living in. That is an absolute, that's almost as much of an earworm as, wall, 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 big as a tall, tall, tall. Which, if you're wondering what on earth that's about, is Empire State Human by Human League. Um, but don't listen to it if you want to think of any other melody for the next week. Yeah, which I'm uh, not going to now. Number four here, number 11 in America, uh, Whitney Houston, I Want to Dance with Somebody. Which I said I was surprised by how much I was moved by it, weirdly by how much I was moved by the power ballads, which, frankly, I hadn't been a fan of when they were first out, but I think the film does a fairly solid job of, you know, leading us through that story. Number three here, 15 in America is Babylon. And on, and on, and on. Now, I've got an interesting email from... Now, I think I'm going to say Iwana, but her... Okay. I think... Anyway, the name is I-O-A-N-A. 
And then I, I would say uh, Iona. But then it, there, but then it says rhymes with iguana. Oh well, in that well, that's but obviously is that Iwana or would that be Iwana? Iguana, Iguana, I O N A, I O I O A, I O A N A. Oh, sorry, no, Iwana, Iwana, Iwana rhymes with iguana. Yes, yes, very clear. Yeah, all right, Iwana from London. Thank you, dear Manny and Nelly. As a Damien Chazelle featuring Justin Hurwitz aficionado, (laughs) I was very excited to watch Babylon. Hello. I left the cinema on Friday. Uh, with my jaw literally dropped towards the floor. What had I just watched in the best way possible? Imagine my surprise upon listening to the latest episode of the podcast and hearing Mark say he hated every single thing that I loved (laughs) about Babylon. Sure, at its core, it is nothing more than a collection of overly choreographed set pieces and stunning ones at that. The exhausting explosion of colour, bodies, wealth and grit was one of the most impressive showcases of production design I've seen in recent years. I'll admit it, I'm a young person with little patience to complete my cinema literacy by watching films from nearly a century ago. Babylon is a good, if perverse, way for younger audiences to familiarise themselves with the history of cinema. The complete lack of rules of the silent film period was fascinating to see. The rollover laughing scene of Nelly filming her first talkie is sure to stick with, with me for months. Beyond the set pieces, I think Babylon did a decent job of painting some characters, in particular Jack and Manny, with emotional depth and character arcs I was genuinely invested in. As for the ridiculously corny epilogue montage, I did roll my eyes, but it also reminded me that we are not just observers of history, but rather active participants. Love it or hate it, Avatar is a milestone in the history of cinema. Doesn't it just warm your heart to think... There's a little left turn there. Mm -hmm. Doesn't it just warm your heart to think about the incredible technical advancements humans are capable of coming up with just for the sake of entertainment? As a final note, I have not stopped listening to the soundtrack all weekend long. Another instant classic from Hurwitz. Yeah, well, it's up for an Oscar and it's, it is one of the three Oscar nominations, the other one being uh, production design and costume design, which ties in with what you were saying. So, Iwana, thank you very much indeed. May I just ask, Iwana, and please do uh, follow this up, have you seen Singing in the Rain? And the reason I ask is, if you think that the Nelly Leroy doing her first talkie scene is really funny, have you seen Singing in the Rain? That's not a rhetorical question. I'd be genuinely interested because what really bothers me about Babylon is that all its best moments are ripped off Singing in the Rain. Number two here, number three in the States is Megan. Uh, M. Count, Count Geekler on our YouTube channel. I really like this one. It does everything you expect it to do, but with a nice edge of satire and also at heart quite an affecting story about loss and parenting. Simon Norton says, I've got no idea what I saw. The closest I can come is to say it was like one of those awful modern remakes of a much-loved 80s film that actually wasn't made in the first place. Hmm, not sure I quite understand your review, Simon. Uh, but anyway, you were you were quite impressed with him, with me. Yeah, I think it's a, um, a an interesting film. I mean, it's it, it's not a, it's not really a horror film. It is a sort of it's a satire, and it's obviously in the tradition of things that well, we said Dead of Night and, uh, and the Chucky films. And but I thought it did what it did well. We had a very interesting email last week from someone who was saying, you know, you need to give credit to the performer who was playing uh, Megan uh, Amy Donald, I believe is the is her name. Uh, I thought it was fun. I enjoyed it. I mean, it's not gory enough, but that's absolutely fine. That is to do with the fact that it's not really a horror film. It is a satire. And the box office number one here, as in the States, is Avatar The Way of Water. Just a slightly, and the Oscar-nominated Avatar The Way of Water. Yeah. Um, Tim sends this email just for a slightly different take uh, to avoid the rehashing of previous weeks. 
So the first Avatar, says Tim, was probably the film I've come nearest to walking out of. Uh-huh. And I haven't yet seen the second one. And I don't really want to, in fact. But I'm going because it, it is a vast, bloated blockbuster, which is a retelling of the story of what imperialist colonists did to Native Americans and other indigenous peoples and makes it absolutely clear that the colonists are unambiguously the bad guys and that what they did was horrible. And not just that, it's a film which, stealing a quote, gets normal-ass Marvel-watching white people in Ohio to stand up and cheer for the Viet Cong, end of quote. There are many, many films that have made the same points. I've seen a lot of them. But have there been any with even a tiny fraction of the reach of Avatar? I mean, look what happened when someone dared to make a Star Wars episode where it turned out that the hero wasn't the hero because of who their ancestors were. And yet... Here is this huge, dumb blockbuster which will be seen by hundreds of millions of people and which is, quotes, and I, I react physically when people say this, on the right side of history, end of quote. I'll go and see it so that Cameron gets to make more of this. He's not preaching to me, but he is preaching a good message and that message is being widely heard. I'll take that, says Tim. I mean, yes. <laughs> I... I mean, yes, it's like it. It is the the as I as I said from the first time. You know, it's broadly anti-colonial, anti. It's a very metaphor. It works very many ways. It's very fluid. It's just a bit like, but 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 yes, and uh, as we've said before, and I will say it again, I can't stand Avatar: The Way of Water, but it has it has tentpoled the heck out of the box office. To tentpole is a verb, and if it saves cinema, amongst all the other things, then thank heavens for that. Precisely. And now a very strange uh, moment as we welcome Ben Babysmith uh, onto the podcast for the first time as a guest. Hello. Yeah, that is weird. The baby returns. Yeah, so you're not in charge at this point. It does feel strange. I mean, whenever in all the years I've been involved with the show, I'm here or or there, or wherever it's being yes. recorded, you are never there. That's 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 key. Yeah. So it does it does feel strange now being on the other side. Feels it odd. feels weirder for me. It's like two. Yeah, there's two of us now. It's like okay, I don't know which who who's in. Ch- what do I do? I've got Sanjeev in a cab on the way down. <laughs> so really freak you out. So so Ben is here and he's here with psychotherapist Sasha Bates to talk about the latest podcast, Shrink the Box which launches on Tuesday. Sasha, first of all, um, we, so we know about Ben. Uh, tell us about your work as a therapist, and then we'll talk about Shrink the Box. Yeah, I've been working as a therapist for, oh God, over a decade now. Um, it was a second career. I actually started off in television myself. I was a director and producer. And I think that when you direct and produce, you get really interested in people's stories. And I got to nearing 40 and thought, actually, um, I kind of want to go deeper. I want to know more about people in a, in, a, in a way that's been more helpful than shoving them on television. So I retrained and it was the best thing I ever did because you get to know people so intimately and yourself as well. So you would normally be doing what? If we're not talking about famous people, your work as a therapist would lead you into what kind of work? Uh, well, I'm in private practice. I mean, I've done all sorts. I did work in the NHS and I worked for a university with the students, but now I'm in private practice. So a lot of it's on Zoom, but uh, pre-COVID and occasionally now people come, I've got a consulting room, they sit opposite me for 50 minutes and we talk about whatever they want to talk about. That could be the past, the future, the present, existential crisis, um, anger issues, eating disorders, addictions, 
bereavement. I mean, you name it, I'll talk about anything with, with anyone. Really. With, with a view to, at the end of the process, them feeling better about their situation. Yeah, I mean, better is a, a, quite a subjective word, but yeah, you would hope that they not would worse. have a... <laughs> Definitely <laughs> not worse. Well, <laughs> this is the thing about therapy, is sometimes it does have to get worse before it gets better. Well, I've been in therapy for two years, and I am fully aware of the sometimes mm. it has to get worse before it gets better. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So this could turn into a little session. Here. Well, that's what I was just going to say. I was just thinking as Sasha was talking and, and, you know, she was talking about, you know, her various areas of expertise within in therapy. One that she's added is I managed to blag a little bit of free stuff during the show because sometimes we do get really deep and, and we, we relate it relate relate the uh, some of the issues to our own lives and what we're going through and and Sasha's insight I find it incredibly helpful alongside I should stress the actual real life therapy I have IRL okay so that's so that's the background so tell us about the pod and what you're trying to do the main thing is we want to celebrate what you guys I guess would call you know film adjacent television so TV with a, a real cinematic epic feel to it you know the, I'm thinking the worlds of Mad Men the Queen's Gambit Sopranos The Wire but we're taking one particular character uh, and usually from you know the 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 initial series the first series where they're being established and trying to get inside their heads so you know, for want of a better phrase, putting them on Sasha's couch uh, uh, for an hour and, and, and sort of breaking down what makes them tick. Um, and it comes from a place of love for the show initially, first and foremost, of course, so we get to celebrate and, and re-watch these great shows along with our listeners, I hope. Um, but uh, then really trying to get inside their heads and see also, I guess, what, what we can learn from it. And and for me, like being back in therapy as well, it's like a perfect, uh, it seems to sit so nicely. I, I love talking, obviously. <laughs> and then talking about myself, perfect. Watching classic shows, superb. Having someone with the mind of Sasha next to me to actually stop me just waffling about absolute nonsense and bring, making it more concise, more insightful. You've never managed to do that. It's a perfect, Sorry perfect fit for me, you know. So just give us, just give us the the cast list um, that you have on this. Oh yeah, who have we got first? Uh, we start with Tony Soprano. Kind of going um, meta on the first one. Yeah, because <laughs> he's he's in therapy himself, so we get a look at him in, in therapy whilst also looking at him as a as a person. We've got Got Walter White from Breaking Bad, Beth from Queen's Gambit. You mentioned yeah. um, Omar from The Wire. Yeah, that new show, The Wire, Mark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that I discovered really, during yeah, lockdown. Really excited about that. <laughs> uh, we're going to do Shiv from Succession. Oh, we're going to do Arabella. Arabella from I May Destroy You. Yeah, such an amazing character. Um, and my mind's going to blank. Who else have we got? That's uh, a pretty good. Oh, Don list. Draper. Don Draper Don from Draper. Mad Men. Fleabag. Fleabag. Yes. Fleabag yeah, Don, we've got great. Women. <laughs> There's more American shows in there than British shows. Would that be yeah, right? I think that's that's a hundred percent true. But what we want to try and do over time is even that out and always retain a balance of of male characters, female characters, um, uh, mixed backgrounds, and stuff like that. So we can try and have a viewpoint of all types of, of human beings, I guess, represented within these great shows. And we've also begun largely with drama Fleabag's the closest we've got to comedy but we're not averse to a, a George Costanza you know <laughs> we're, we're not averse to a Reginald Perrin absolutely yeah. not so I, I mean I'd love to get into a, a whole comedy season mm. of uh, of Shrink the Box because there's some real 
Uh, <laughs> some real nutcases. Reggie Perrin on the couch. Nut, nut, nutcase being the technical yeah. term. <laughs> yeah. Just not say nutcase. But <laughs> if, if you are going to do that, I, would th- I think porridge... Oh yeah, is not just astonishing comedy, and but it's profoundly sad on mm. on many my, levels. My dad used to collect the, uh, the you know used to have vinyls like recordings of of shows. He had like a lot of Hancock's Half Hour, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he had this one vinyl of um, a Porridge episode called An Evening In. Quiet night in. Quiet in. A quiet night quiet in. in. Yeah. yeah, where it's just the two of them Oops, on sorry. on the yeah. bunks, you know, and and God, but. You're really seeing for the first time he's really not handling the time inside well, and and the, the vision of the future of him being in there, he really can't take it. And mm-hmm. and a uh, 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 Fletch in this moment of like pure sensitivity sort of guides him almost like mm, immersive I was just therapy, that, yeah, <laughs> uh, into a, a kind of fantasy of of being outside. So they're going out on a Friday night, and he he sets the scene for Godper and. Uh, it's one of the most beautiful episodes. Laugh out loud, funny still at times. Yeah. But that that um, thing of two people being stuck in a room together mm-hmm. and just having to get to know each other. I mean, it's, it is what therapy is, really. And Absolutely, so yeah. much intimacy can come from that. And people let their guard down and they let their vulnerabilities show. And then you really get to know someone. And it's through the getting to know somebody's vulnerabilities and weaknesses that you really make those connections. Um, and I think that's what, is the value of therapy because the other point of, of Shrink the Box as well as it being great fun to go back and look at all these um, fantastic old series and great interesting characters is that we're demystifying I hope demystifying the process of therapy because so many people are frightened by it and they think it's um, this sort of strange procedure where you're going to have your head shrunk um, but actually it's just two people talking and giving yourself the time to explore and think about the big questions like who you are and why you behave as you do and whether you could behave differently and what is stopping you connecting with others. So hopefully it's also a way of, you know, showing that therapy doesn't have to be scary and it can just really enhance your life. Is it a bit odd applying those skills to a piece of fiction, to characters who don't exist, who have been created for our entertainment? Well, a little bit, but actually we all feel like we know these people and there's always elements of us in them. I mean, even though Tony Soprano is a gangster or Wanda, who we're, who we're going to look at from Wanda's vision, she's a superhero, they're actually going through really, really human scenarios that we can relate to. So I think we all kind of have those water cooler moments where you kind of go, oh my God, I can't believe what he did or she did. And you want to talk about them because they're like your friends. Also, I think we tend to put as viewers fictional characters, we tend to sort of relate our lives or we ask ourselves, what would I do were I in that situation? We tend to do that a lot with fictional characters. So I think there is like a weird kind of blurring of the lines and a a bit of crossover there. Um, And most of all, even though it is, like you say, like a little bit weird, it's incredibly good fun to sort of dig into it. And I find that it sort of elevates, for me, the class of the writing on a lot of these great, great shows because you know this from all the films you guys review every week. There's always a stinker where nothing any character does rings true. Makes any sense. because It makes any sense, even, because the writing is so poor that they just haven't bothered to 
create any motivation for that character. And there's nothing an actor can do to polish that turd. There really isn't. <laughs> but that's why... So, you know, I listened to the Omar episode because obviously... As you yeah, said, we both the, listened to that one. Yeah, the, yeah. Uh, the, the, very, very topical. The Mark. new Wire episode. Thank you very much. Yeah, <laughs> Cutting edge drama. I'll be going back to Porridge very soon. And of course, the genius of um, The Wire is... It's not just... I mean, the, the, Omar is one of number of characters that you could have picked and done mm, that. I oh, mean, absolutely. right from McNulty all the way down, yeah, yeah. it is all the pieces about it, all that stuff. But the quality of the writing that you can, in the middle of that episode, have a discussion about his backstory, about how at some point early on in his life there has been trauma that has taught him that he can't react because he can't... Sh that's to do with genius writing, yeah. that you can create a character that you can then extrapolate that from. And that is, as you say, you, you'll see films in which some, a character is written as a two-dimensional figure that exists only for the moment that they are on screen. Yeah. He's complicated mm. because when we first meet him, he's he has a shot of whiskey on a bar. <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's right, And yes. you're like, oh, he's troubled. Or, he's or... playing with his wedding ring. As happens in movies that I've seen, somebody says, he's complicated. He's, That's he's how you know he's complicated. He's got a blue scarf. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's wearing the blue scarf of regret, yeah, and he and we, is complicated. And we, we've only picked characters that are psychologically complex that have been written in a way that we can all relate to them. Um, because otherwise, as you said, there'd be absolutely no point. But they're all people that we're intrigued by, that we question, that we find sort of mysterious, and we see ourselves in in some way. The thing with the with the Omar discussion, which is kind of particularly interesting, for me, as I said, I've been in therapy for two years, and I I love it. I now can't imagine living without it, but. One of the things that has come up a lot in my therapy sessions is fairy tales. I tend mm. to talk about fairy tales and Grimm's fairy a lot. And, of course, in the Omar thing, you talk about the big bad wolf, the the whistling, the, mm -hmm. the kind of the fable-like quality of it. And it is fascinating to me how much fairy tales are basically ways of describing the world to yourself when you're young yeah. that then stick with you for the rest of the thing. I thought that was interesting in terms of the Omar discussion because that doesn't get raised enough. Absolutely. And, and, you know, way into adulthood, there's all sorts of fully grown people who still engage in massive amounts of magical thinking about where their life's going, mm -hmm. where their life's been, what you know, what they want to achieve. Um, so I think we're always trying to, even though we're, it, the show really is a flight of fancy, we're always trying to pin it down or elements of it, pin them down in the real world and almost have... I don't want to say a Jerry Springer type final thought. No, but so you don't. Know, there's, there's, so I'm don't not going to say that. I'm not going to say that. But we're always looking for what we can take away. And and we we what I love about the show and working with Sash is that that's we never force that. If it comes, it comes. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And you know, there's times when me and Sash will just go off. You know, talking about uh, you know our own lives, our own experiences um, before we return back to um, the, the the character himself. So. I do like that it's a wide-ranging discussion. I do like that it, it's uh, fictional fun, but what I really love is that it's rooted right there in, a, in, our, in our own reality. And, and when I stray way too far from that, we have our own redactor-in-chief who will take care of, of that to make sure that uh, it's sure a fun do. hour, an insightful hour for everyone. Does being a therapist spoil a lot of television <laughs> and, and movies because you're just watching it? Because it must be hard to switch off that skill set. Um, well, I mean, I, I can't watch bad tech. I can't watch um, badly written characters um, because I suppose because of that, um, you know, I want people that I believe in. Um, what about watching therapists? Oh God, that, yeah, that that's th there's very very few good therapists on on television. Most of them are just played for laughs or for 
plot or or I think, funny enough, I've just written an article about this for therapy today about the portrayal of, of therapists in the media. Um, and I wondered whether it is a lot of writers subconsciously getting their own back on their own therapists because what, it, what all clients say is they hate the asymmetry of the relationship. They hate the fact that I know so much about them and they know nothing about me. Right. So I do wonder whether subconsciously these writers are thinking, right, I'm going to give this therapist this chaotic home life and all these um, addictions and and, and flaws um, as a way of like making myself feel less less bad about myself when they seem so sorted, which of course is rubbish. None of us are sorted, but that's the impression that a lot of clients have. I think that we've we've sorted ourselves, we've got the answers, and we're there to show them how to do it. We're actually we're, we're all just. Um, muddling along as best we can just like a little you, bit you say that people hate that asymmetry I like that asymmetry because I like the idea that it's going anyway about me you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's also always it's something comforting about having someone to speak to in your life who has no dog in your fight mm -hmm. you know yeah. yeah, I think that's yeah, useful. Precisely so. Precisely so. Yeah. So the show is called Shrink the Box. Uh, ben and Sasha, thank you very much. It launches on Tuesday and will appear. If you're a Vanguard East, it will appear in your uh, feed on Tuesday. And also, I should say there'll be more with Ben and Sasha in take two. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. So thanks to uh, Ben and Sasha. Now, as you mentioned at the top of the program, yeah, the pod, the pod of the show. Um, we were supposed to have Steven Spielberg uh, on today and we were going to have 20 minutes. And thank you very much again for all the fantastic questions that you sent in. Unfortunately, Stephen then got poorly and flew home to L.A. And if I had a private jet and a ranch, I would have done, <laughs> would have done precisely the same. Yes. Because the UK hasn't got a lot going for it. Weather-wise is what I'm talking about, obviously. Uh, so, he, so he disappeared. Hopefully he'll come back on the show um, very shortly. But anyway, he's yes. unwell. Always welcome. I've got some of the questions uh, here, which I'm going to put to Mark instead. As Mark said, why don't you use your questions yeah. on me? But it seems to be sensible to do the review first of all. Okay. So let's talk about The Fablemans, and then I'll put some of the questions to you. So the Oscar nominations were earlier this week. Uh, the Fablemans is up for seven uh, Oscars. Production design, original screenplay, which is Spielberg and Tony Kushner. Um, uh, supporting uh, actor Judd Hirsch. Uh, best Actress, Michelle Williams. Best Motion Picture, Original Score for John Williams. And um, Steven Spielberg for Best Achievement in Directing. And currently looking at the... It's... It it is it is favoured to win Best Picture. It's had a really? is that, yeah, it's had a very well yeah, but you know I I thought that uh, there was absolutely no chance that Hilda Goodnadotter wouldn't get nominated Best Score for Women Talking, and she didn't. So you know, obviously everything is a is an open field. But in America, at least, it's done very very well with critics and with awards judges. Here in the UK, only one BAFTA nomination for Best Screenplay for Tony Kushner and Steven Spielberg, um, and. Of course, it, has, it hasn't set the box office alight uh, in America, so it's been sort of cited as one of those cases of critics and awards judges love it, audiences not so much, as opposed to Avatar, which, as we just pointed out, has passed two billion, although some critics do absolutely love that. So it's been described as Spielberg's most personal film. It is autobiographically inspired. I interviewed Tony Kushner some time ago, and he said that what happened was he'd been talking to Spielberg about this for a long time. Spielberg basically, he interviewed Spielberg about his childhood, and then Kushner said, and I then took those stories and worked them into a fictionalised screenplay. And I said, well, how much of what we see in the film is real? How much is, how much is invention? He said, what we did was we invented fictional, you know, fictional 
motivations and scenes that would that would work dramatically, but it was all sort of inspired by the real stories of Spielberg's childhood. So if you if you've heard Spielberg talking about his childhood, which he has talked about it quite a lot. Um, you'll know, for example, that he had a primal event in his life, which he was taken to see The Greatest Show on Earth, the Cecil B. DeMille film, circus themed, but it features this spectacular train wreck. And in The Fablemans, uh, young Sammy Fableman is taken to see the film. He sits there in awe. He sees the, the train crash. It's traumatic, but extraordinary. And his mother, played by Michelle Williams, who is very artistic, but obviously also kind of uh, disconsolate, realises that maybe a way of her traumatised child owning his trauma is to take a, a home movie camera and to film a crash of his own with his train set. And therefore, he'll be able to replay it and therefore own the tragedy. And this is kind of, this is the sort of big philosophical centerpiece, I think, of the of the film, which is that learning to film the world is a way of controlling the world. But it's also a way of discovering things about the world, perhaps not things that you would necessarily, you know, want to discover. Um, here is a clip featuring the Oscar-nominated Judd Hirsch. You see, what she got in her heart is what you got, what I got, art. Like me, like you, I think. We're junkies, and art is our drug. Family, we love, but art, we're my sugar for art. You think I wanted to leave my sisters, my mama, and my papa and go stick my stupid head in the mouth of lions? Put, putting your head in a lion's mouth is art? <laughs> no, sticking your head in the mouth of lions was balls. Making sure the lion don't eat my head, that is art. He's, I mean, hand me that scenery that I may chew it some more. Well, he's stealing the scene, no, stealing he's the film. And stealing the film, yes. Yeah. So, uh, Paul Dano as uh, Bert, who is the father, kind of, kind of rather, you know, on the outside, you know, sort of very ordered father who, because one of Steven Spielberg's central obsessions for a long time was the collapse of his parents' marriage and something he felt very, very anxious about. And uh, there is uh, Seth Rogen as Uncle Benny, who isn't an uncle, but is very, very important to the, to the plot. And so if you know stuff about um, Spielberg's childhood, there is a certain pleasure to be had matching up the fictional things. They move, to, they move from the East Coast to the West Coast. He's later on in school. He's the victim of anti-Semitic bullying. But he also starts to develop this extraordinary ability to make people watch his films, that he discovers how to make, how to organise things, how to direct, how to, lovely sort of little things about making gunshots by putting pinpricks in the in the celluloid. Now, if you are a cineast, if you're a film critic or something like that, of course there's pleasure in this. And, um, and I, you know, I enjoyed the film. It also has an absolutely barnstorming final scene, which I'm not going to spoil, despite the fact that everybody else appears to have done so, which is a shame, because when the final scene turns up, it's lovely to have not known anything about it. But there is a really, really lovely final scene that sends you out of the cinema with a spring in your step. I think the... The main issue that I have is, if you look at E.T., which up until now was basically described as Steven Spielberg's most autobiographical film. I mean, E.T. is a film about, you know, a space alien being stranded on Earth. And, uh, you know, so obviously it's not factual, but it is allegorical because it's about Elliot, E.T., Elliot, being somebody who is alone and considers themselves to be alone and is 
you know, distraught at the state of the world around them and finds in this weird interstellar connection, you know, I'll be right here, all that stuff. That is the young Steven Spielberg. And that is a film that can be watched by anybody, everybody, everybody gets an emotional response from it. The Fablemans is much more factual. It's much more down-to-earth. I think it's also less universal. And it's not a surprise that it hasn't set the box office on fire because it's a niche... I mean, it's, you know, it's a... I don't mean this as necessarily a bad thing because it is both a strength and a weakness. It is a very expensive home movie. It's a very personal story about a childhood that is... You know, some people have said there was a Rolling Stone thing. It's the film that we've waited 45 years for Steven Spielberg to make. No, No, it isn't. No, no, it isn't. It really isn't. It's a very personal reminiscence about childhood and about discovering cinema in the same way that Sam Mendes' Empire of Light. It's it's a fictional story. He said in that interview that you did with him, he started writing about his mother and then it turned into a story about a projectionist and Thatcherism and, you know, racism and all those other things. But it started as a personal reminiscence. I think The Fablemans is lovely. I also think it's incidental. I think it's it's not a masterpiece. I'm, I am surprised by the, you know, best picture, best director. Partly what it says is that there's just so much goodwill towards Steven Spielberg in the world that people want to reward him for what feels like a personal film. But as a piece of filmmaking... It's fine, and I liked it. I even loved bits of it. But it is a small film in a, in a you know, it's an appendix to, to his career. It isn't E.T. You think uh, that's fair? I, think, I, I do think that's fair, and I, I agree with that. And I am embarrassed to say it took me many weeks before I realised the significance of the title. That's how slow I am. What you mean as it being a fable? As in being, a, yeah, a person telling, you know, it's telling a fable woman, it's a Jewish yeah. surname, but he's also telling a fable. fables. Yeah. I mean, how slow is that? Answer, very slow. No, but, it, but it, that's not slow because it's, because it, no, I think that's perfectly it's fine. About, yeah, but yeah, I should I, I, I think, if, if it, if, I mean, because it's spelled differently. If it had it been the Fablemans, yes. then, then it would have been slightly with more With a hyphen and fable yeah, kind exactly. of underlined yeah. in italics. Uh, Nigel Powell in Oxfordshire. Uh, challenger for title of the biggest village in the UK. The Fablemans weaves each aspect together so perfectly, so obviously in the hands of a once-in-a-generation master of his art form that it was the experience that stayed with me the most, the most moving, the most entertaining, the most thought-provoking. It's a film that is an honour to see right to its near-perfect final moment. This guy really knows how to make films. Up with bluehead feminists you don't, you don't say. <laughs> and lady pipe smokers, down with tax avoiders who pay it back when found out and say it was an honest mistake, yeah. so that's all right. <laughs> Let's just forget about it. Thank you, Nigel. Who knows? Thank you, yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Who it could be anybody. could okay. be anybody. Correspondence at com. Once you've seen The Fablemans, we would love to uh, hear your thoughts. My question, then, that I was going to put to Steven Spielberg, but I'm going to put to you. Yes. What was it like showing this movie to your sisters and Sue and Nancy? Um... When they were on set, they actually referred to uh, the characters playing our, our, our relatives as if they were actually the relatives. Um, I know that's his answer because I've read that question somewhere else. Um, was it difficult to cut? Was it any more difficult to cast this movie given the fact that these people were playing your parents and you? 
in fact? Well, I knew from the start that there wasn't anybody else other than Michelle Williams who. who okay, could thank you, Stephen. Uh, we'll uh, we'll leave it there. We move on. I was good, though, wasn't I? Very good. I was good. Im- impressive. Who needs to who needs to book any more guests <laughs> when Mark can just play the role? Um, well, it's time for the laughter lift. Oh dear. Huge cap. It's very it's very shabby, by the way. This <laughs> very week. shabby. Um, hey, Mark. We've all had experiences with COVID, mm-hmm. but there's now a new virus which makes us forget 80s independent music. It may be spreading. No one knows the cure. That reminds me, Mark, do you That's... know why it sounded like there was music coming from Bob Marley's dot matrix printer in the 70s? Hang on. I... The paper was jamming. <laughs> okay, that's Mark, sorry, do you know that's what's grey and not important? No. An irrelevant. Anyway, what have we... Oh, we're just charging on through here. It's just moving on through. Charging on through. What have we got still to come as far as you're concerned? Uh, we have on welcome and plain, Gerard Butler on a plane. Back after this, unless you're a vanguardista, in which case you are exceptionally knowledgeable and your service will not be interrupted. Uh, your correspondence always welcome. Correspondence at CoverdMail.com. This from Evan in Leeds. Dear your good selves, MTL, brackets every week since mid-2012. I think he's entitled to be a long-term listener. I think that is, yeah. That's more than a decade. Yeah. So. Wow. And also FTE. I have had somewhat of a hankering to email in okay. since you've gotten into the topic of etymology. And this week, having caught the dreaded big C, which I think in this case is COVID... Thought I'd email in after you mentioned a Hollandaise sauce, which apparently did not originate in Holland. Holland, that's this right. This was um, uh, from last week, I believe. Many similar etymologies have arisen from being attributed incorrectly to a place of origin. Yeah. Romany travellers have historically suffered from this, with 19th century Parisians who wanted to emulate their nomadic lifestyle, thinking they were from Bohemia, Bonday, Czechia, Czech Republic, and giving way to Bohemianism, Laboem, and eventually Bohemian Rhapsody. Similarly, when the Spanish... Wow! Yes. When the Spanish heard Romany folk music, they inexplicably thought they were from northern Belgium and named the music Flamenco after its misattributed Flemish origin. So people getting it wrong. So Flamenco should not have been called Flamenco. I had no... I didn't even realise that's what Flamenco... Assuming it was something to do with Flemish and Northern Belgium, but incorrectly. So my other favourite example of this is everyone's favourite Christmas poultry, which originated in North America, but found its way to merry old England via Turkey. Hence, you call it a turkey. And to France via India, where the French for turkey is dand, literally meaning Indian, as in D apostrophe and from India. Isn't that interesting? And I checked it, and that's exactly right. No, this is an education. I'd recommend Mark Forsyth's incredibly readable and funny book, The The Etymologicon, to Mark and Simon, for many more wonderful word origin stories. Did you know, for example, Botox is a contraction of botulinum toxin, literally sausage poison. I saw that person the other day on television. Do you know what? I think they've had some sausage, sausage poison, poison done. 
Wow. Thanks for keeping me company during my recent illness, which should not be named, and a big shout-out to the Hyde Park Picture House in Leeds, where we did a show many years ago, which, having been open since 1914, recently closed for renovations and is set to reopen this April, and I cannot wait to re-enter, armed with my new membership, a Christmas present from my lovely partner, Katie. Tinkety-tonk, down with North American guinea fowl and up with plant-based alternatives. Evan in Leeds. Plant-based alternatives is definitely where you are. That's right. I've also, I've got all their albums. Oh, very good. So Turkey, not from Turkey. Dand, not from India, but actually... That is amazing. There you go, from North America. Thank you very much, correspondents at kerbinandmayo.com. What is out? What do we need to go and see? Plane. Those two things are not no, necessarily, no, no, necessarily the it, same thing. It's out, but okay. you don't necessarily have to go and see So it. Plane is the new Gerard Butler film. Um, I haven't done that for a while. Um, you'll remember that in the not-too-distant past, Gerard Butler starred in Greenland, which I loved. It was one of my films of the year. We still I, need to go to Greenland. Absolutely. Fab. Yeah, we need to go to Greenland, but it's a great movie. Uh, there is a, a sequel in the pipeline, I think. Anyway, Plane, uh, directed by Jean-Francois Richet, who made the Marine movies. Uh, the tagline is, the crash was just the beginning, or something on those lines. He is Brody Torrance. He is a pilot flying for trailblazers. Uh, he has a daughter. His wife passed three years ago. We learn all this in, in the kind of, you know, the standard opening setup. Uh, he's trying to get, he's flying a plane. He's trying to get to be with his daughter for New Year's. He may be, he said, I, might, I may be late. Uh, he is going to be late because they're going to fly through a storm and the airline are so cheap that they won't allow him the fuel to fly around the storm uh-huh. because there aren't that many passengers on board. Although one of the passengers, uh, Louis Gaspar, played by Mike Coulter, is a former Foreign Legion uh, person who is now a prisoner on a murder rap being transported on the plane. And he says, well, we've got skeleton stuff. He said, don't care, he's going to go and think. So they th- they're in the air, stormy, 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 storm, storm. Big storm. Big storm plane gets struck by lightning, boom, all the controls go out. They have to land the plane, okay? It's a bit computer game visual. They have to land the plane. There's an island. Let's land on the island. There's a road. Boom. They get down. So that's the the plane has landed, you know, crashed. Turns out they're on an island to which, quote, the Philippine army won't even go there. They've got their ass kicked so many times because it is run by, again, quote, separatists, militias, and, you know, generally bad crims. So now... The plane crash is just the beginning because then all the passengers are faced with hostage-taking separatists, crims, bad people. Any dinosaurs? No. No. But surprise, surprise, Captain must now team up with dangerous... No. But in order to save the day. Who'd have thought it? Want to see a clip? Yes, please. Here we go. Billy, just two kilometres in that direction. No, you can't just ask for them back. Yeah, well, you're the military man. I was hoping you'd have some ideas. <laughs> Thank you for helping. Priests in the Legion used to say redemption can only be found in the most unusual places. Well, that certainly qualifies. <laughs> so, now, in order to find redemption, they must break people's heads with their bare hands. They must do stabby, shooty, runny, punchy things and sledgehammers in faces and uh, all that stuff. And meanwhile, in the background, there's the the human story because what he's really trying to do is to get home to his daughter so that they can oh. have some quality time I, together. I bet that happens. Um, 
There, here's the thing. So there, there aren't many surprises on the menu. I mean, I've really warmed to Gerard Butler since Greenland, although what Greenland has demonstrated is that if you give him great material, he'll be great. Um, this isn't Greenland, but nor is it the Has Fallen movies, which were absolutely terrible. This is just kind of mid-range, middle of the week, you know, see it, with have a pizza and a beer, and then see the Gerard Butler, you know, plane puncher movie, and then there's a bit at the end which is so spectacularly preposterous that I did feel like immediately, um, you know, ringing a, a friend of mine who is a very big Gerard Butler fan and who loves uh, Geostorm and saying, uh, you need to, yeah, have you seen this? Because it's, <laughs> I mean, is there a difference? My question is this. Yeah. Is there a difference between this then, which you described as a pizza and a beer movie? Yeah. And a movie which is a tea and a biscuit movie. Yes, it is. Tea and a biscuit movie is a kind of, you know, afternoon. This is definitely a pizza and a beer. And, you know, the plane crash, and then there's a thing, and then there's a crimson, and then there's some violence, and then there's some stuff, and then they got a mail bomb. So it's and too thing. violent for a tea and a biscuit. Yes, that's why it's a pizza and a beer. Okay. And then, of course, in the 1980s, um, 1990s, Medusa video described their straight-to-video erotic thrillers as three Bs movie, beer, biryani, and bonking. Right. No, I don't think I don't think we want to dwell much. Yeah. So there's biryani and bonking, pizza and a beer, tea and a biscuit. Yeah. They're, they're only three categories that we're allowed. But I, did, I honestly did feel like it's, it's my friend is Simon Brew, obviously of you know film stories, who's a huge uh, Gerard Butler fan, and uh, and Geostorm is preposterous because that is Gerard Butler, but Gerard Gerard Butler cloud puncher. But in the case of this, the last act of um, of plane is. Dumb as nuts. I mean, it really is spectacularly stupid. It looked as though it was heading that direction just for that brief <laughs> clip. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, that I kind of enjoyed it, you know. Okay. Uh, so that's plain. Right. Um, let's do a what's on then. Okay. This is where you email us a voice note about your festival or maybe you've got a special screening coming up. Wherever you are in the world, send it to correspondence at com. like this. Hello, Simon and Mark. This is Owen, the programmer of Riverside Studios in London, here to make you and the listeners aware of our fantastic Nicholas Rogue retrospective, with films including Don't Look Now and Man Who Fell to Earth and intros and video essays from the likes of Kim Newman and Mark Cousins, screening Sundays 2pm from 5th to 19th of February. See www.riversidestudios.co.uk. Hi, Simon and Mark. It's Sarah from the British Board of Film Classification. Just calling to let your listeners know about the BBFC's youth panel. Um, the youth panel is a fantastic opportunity for young people to feed into age rating decisions. They get to get their voices heard. They create content for our youth panel hub on social media. Um, and it's just really fun. We're looking for 15 to 17 year olds to join our youth panel. Uh, applications close on February the 24th. And if you want to apply, people should go to www bbfc.co.uk forward slash education. Thanks. So that was Owen, the programmer of Riverside Studios. Can I just say, Owen, a little production note, way too fast. You had all your information <laughs> uh, that you wanted to give us, but it was it was very interesting. So go back and listen again to uh, what Owen had to say. Uh, and Sarah from the BBFC, letting us know about some great opportunities in February. Yes, and uh, f- fantastic to hear from the BBFC. 20-second uh, audio trailer, which is what Owen was taking slightly. You know, if it's 25, it, you know, and, it's, and you've got interesting stuff and you just want to speak slowly and coherently, then that's also fine. Yes. Send it to correspondence at curbinamayo.com. What else is out? Uh, so, Unwelcome. So, Unwelcome is uh, a sort of 
folk horror inflected weirdie from John Wright who made the tentacled monster movie Grabbers, uh, the horror comedy Tormented, and coincidentally, Robot Overlords, some of which was filmed in the Isle of Man, which is, you know... Interesting. Yeah, particularly for me. So, this new film, Unwelcome, has been described as being inspired by folklore and Grimm's fairy tales and was pitched as Gremlins meet Straw Dogs. And in a way... That's kind of everything you need to know. So there's a couple, Maya, by, uh, played by uh, Hannah John Cayman, and Jamie, Douglas Booth. They are newly pregnant. They're living in London in an estate, and their home gets invaded by, you know, nasty London street thugs. I mean, it's actually quite a, a brutal opening. They then inherit a cottage in rural Ireland, which seems like a, good, uh, like a godsend. But it's not all that simple. Yes, a relative has left them the cottage. Yes, that sounds like it's away from the urban grind. But there's weird stuff going on. Of course there is. Here's a clip. We've been gifted this beautiful house. We live here. Can you believe it? Maeve wanted to keep the place in your family, Jamie. We really appreciate the house. Well, then you know. We've got a hole in the roof. The Wheelands, they'll do a good job. Jamie, Maya, you just carry on with your day as if we weren't here. There is one thing I need to show you, and it's a little bit peculiar. Every evening before sunset, she'd leave a blood offering here. Sorry, did you say blood? For who? For the Red Cups. And also your neighbour is Colin Farrell. <laughs> <laughs> and then Brendan Gleeson's down the road. Yeah, well, weirdly enough, it's, it's Colin Meany who is the guy who turns up as the people that are going to come and fix the roof. And he turns up with his family um, and they do fixing the roof in the way that people do fixing the roof in straw dogs. Uh-huh. Meaning they're in and around your house in threatening, leery ways. He, Colin Meany demands to be called Daddy. He's, uh, That's always a warning. If your builders we, say, call me daddy, call me daddy, get out. They eat all the biscuits and they behave badly. But there is something in the woodshed, as I believe the Divine Comedy saying, which actually does get you back to Father Ted, which does get you back to Banshees of Inisherin in a kind of roundabout way. This isn't Banshees of Inisherin. For the most part, it's very uneven. Struggling to kind of get a balance between the, the, the nastiness of the opening sequence of the home invasion sequence and then the sort of cutesy, strange, little people, oddness. Leprechaun. Oh, does it go there? Well, no, and no. What kind of voice was that, by the no, way? No, because it's the thing from Wayne's World, isn't it? Oh, and he okay. does it. The leprechaun, you know, it's, but that, that's a different, that's a whole thing. But I think, if you think of something like Troll Hunter from 2010 or Ali uh, troll love story, Borders, um, they, these are films which deal with folkloric creatures in a sort of more kind of more adventurous way. This is kind of all over the place until the final act when it takes a leaf out of the Midsommar book and then actually does something sort of, oh, okay, fine. So it's all... it's all, So on the one hand, it's got a kind of... I, it can't quite figure out what... You know, it's 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 comic, but it's horrific, but it's a bit... Are there a, leprechauns? I'm not answering that question. Are there fairies? I'm not answering these questions. Is that the kind of general direction that it's heading? I think that I have, without spoiling the film, yes. gone as far down that path as I... I mean, it's in the, in the thing. She says they're leaving out things for the red caps, for the little people, for the, you know... Right. But the point is that folkloric little people 
are... Never to be trusted. No, never to be trusted because they have a habit of stealing away babies and, uh, you know, and doing bad stuff. Is that right? Okay. Yeah, that's what they do. So it's a, it's a bit of a mess, but I like... It, it, the final act pulled it all together, but it is, it's a bit all over the shop. Always remember, if your builders ask to be called daddy... Show them the door. Exactly. Yeah. And find new builders. Yes. <laughs> from wherever. Uh, okay, very good. That's the end of take one. Uh, production management, all round stuff, Lily Hambly. Cameras, Teddy Riley. Videos, Ryan O'Meara. Studio engineer was Jay Beale. Uh, the, uh, famous Jay Beale. The guest researcher was Sophie Ivan. Hanino was the producer, have I got that right? Yes, from last time. Hanino was the producer and Flynn Rodham did everything else because she is a very, very important person. She basically runs the ship and yeah. everyone else dances after her. Yes, that's just putting that right. Yes. Mark, what is your film? Oh, and Simon Poole was the redactor. But, you know. Uh, are you interested in knowing what my film of the week is? You just I'm just about, I'm just about to. Mark, what is your film of the... And oh, by the way, all the folk upstairs, they in deciding who's allowed in... Empire State. Human. Mark, what is your film of the week? All the Beauty and the Bloodshed. The documentary? Yes. From right at the beginning of this podcast. From right at the beginning of this podcast. I like Fableman's. Thank you for listening, our extra take, but you don't like it enough to make it the movie of the week. No. But you thought there momentarily? Yeah, because I like it a lot, but then I like it a lot because I'm a film critic, and it's like, you know, if you're you're somebody who makes model trains and somebody makes a film about model trains, you're going to like the model... Trains. All the beauty in the bloodshed. Thank you for listening. Our extra takes with a bonus review, a bunch of recommendations, and even more stuff about the movies and cinema-adjacent television is also available today because take one and take two available at the same time for the Vanguard Easter, obviously. Plus, we're going to be talking about The Last of Us, which is a very exciting thing. So that's a new, exciting development. Take one and take two available all at the same time. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 